Exodus chapter number 20, verse number 3. The word of the Lord declares to us, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other God. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself. You should not give your worship to nothing else but God. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Four generations behind you, because you have set up false idols and false gods, God will visit them in their iniquity. Oh, God, that's weighty. Second Corinthians chapter number four. Know this. Verse number 17. For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment. Tell your neighbor what you're going through is only for a moment. Oh, that's a shouting verse right there. You got to know that your problem and your trial has an expiration date. It ain't forever. I know it. That ain't proper English, but it don't last long. Uh, for our light afflictions, which is for a moment, work it for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The problem that you're going through now, God is trying to strengthen you through the problem so that he can get glory out of your life. I'm going to say that again. What you're facing right now is really a strengthening test. God is saying that I'm got, I got you in the gym of the hallmark of faith and I'm trying to get your muscle up so that you can now be strong enough to endure the problem so I can get some glory out of your life. Tell your neighbor, get your weight up. Tell your neighbor, get your weight up. Get your, get your weight up. You got to be strong enough to endure this thing called life. And God says what you're going through is only for a moment. But it's going to produce an exceeding weight of glory. You know, when the glory of God rests upon you, that's all you can do is buckle. Because the weight of God's glory is so heavy. Father, now in the name of Jesus, thank you for allowing your weight to fall upon this house. And Father, I pray now upon this presence, this heavy anointing, God. That every demonic stronghold and force that has gripped your people, loose them now in the name of Jesus. I thank you the stronghold of lack and poverty is loose now up under the weight of your glory. I thank you, O oh God, that peace, Lord God, rains down from heaven and destroys, Lord God, the yoke of chaos and unrest in the lives of your people now in the name of Jesus. God, we give you praise. God, we give you glory. It's in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord.
Hallelujah. Hear this statement. Waiting in the presence makes you weighty in the presence of your enemy. Waiting in the presence of God makes you weighty in the presence of your enemy. So often we want to leave out of the presence of God before we get what God has for us. So we leave out of God's presence without the weight that we need to anchor us in the presence of our enemy. We, we rush out of the presence of God so quickly that we don't gain enough strength to face the enemies of our lives. So hanging out in the presence of God makes us weighty. Tell your neighbor, just wait. Tell the neighbor, just wait. And as you're waiting in the presence of God, God's glory weighs down upon you. So while you're waiting, you're actually weighted by God's glory. So it's important for us to wait. Have you ever waited for something in life or for someone? Have you ever waited? And in that moment, as you're waiting, watch this, you become frustrated. Oh, God. You ever waited for somebody to say, you know, hey, I'm going to pick you up at five o'clock and now it's 630. (laughs) Amen. Come on, spouses, you you ready to go somewhere and you you all dressed and ready to go and your spouse ain't ready and you just there waiting. (laughs) Just waiting. Question for you. Have you ever waited on God? You prayed. Fasted, so served. You know you heard from God. You know the promises of God. And now you're waiting for the manifestation of those things. Have you ever waited on God to the point where you even got frustrated with God? I know some of y'all are too spiritual for talk like that. But you got frustrated like, God, listen, God, I'm your son. And I've been waiting, God, for this thing to manifest, God. I've been serving in your house, preaching in your word, God. Come on, for real, God. Come on, just go ahead and do what you said you was going to do and do it right now. Anybody ever got that kind of real with God where you just got frustrated? Like, God, when it's going to happen, God? I mean, it's been five years I've been single waiting. To, God, it's been years, God. I've been asking you to birth a child in me. God, it's been years this vision you have birthed in me, God, to manifest. God, when it's going to happen? Anybody ever been there before? In the waiting process, it can become very frustrating, especially when you're waiting on people. And sometimes in that waiting process, that frustration push you to a place, watch this, catch it, of messiness. Because now you're so frustrated with that person, you start picking out all of this person's proclivities and their, all of this person's uh, issues that they have. You're so frustrated. They're always late. They just, they, you know, you start talking about people. Yeah, y'all don't do that, though, I'm sure. I'm talking to your neighbor, not you right now. You know, you start picking out how, you know, they ain't no good and this, that, and the third. You just, because you're so frustrated with them, you start picking out their flaws. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, don't be messy. But it's possible in the waiting moment that that waiting moment can get you so frustrated that you become messy. 
You start calling up other people. Girl, she ain't even here yet. She said she was going to be here five hours ago. Girl, you, you right. She always late. She ain't no good. Huh? Are you with me? So in the waiting process, we can become frustrated, even to the point where we become frustrated with God, asking God to do something that we believe he should have done a long time ago. Be careful of the waiting moment. And on yesterday, while I was at a service, as we were pulling out, it began to rain as we were leaving or exiting that service. I looked up in the sky and the sun was shining so bright. It was like a, uh, a golden uh, orange. It was just real bright, this golden look. And the Lord told me in that moment, he said this, follow the sun. Follow the sun. So in my brief time, I want to give you this message entitled Follow the Sun, but not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. Y'all got to hear me today. Tell your neighbor, follow the sun. Uh, Yeah, and as I looked at the sun, the sun was bright and radiant and all of those things. And as I looked at it, he said, follow the sun. And I was like, follow the sun? He said, no, follow me. Follow me. And then I thought about it. I said... When the Lord made, when God made the heavens and the earth, it says that he made the sun as a greater light and the moon as a lesser light. That the sun, the light, is the greater source and the moon is the lesser source. Did you know that the moon itself has no power, it has no light? The moon only shines bright because it reflects the sun. So without the sun... The moon would not even show. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, that's, that's us in the body of Christ. My son, S-U-N, which is my S-O-N, you are the moon, you are the reflector of my son. Oh, y'all not hearing me yet. So, so in other words, you have no light in of yourself. Especially if you're not in the presence of the Lord, you have no light. That's why we are the light of the world. It's not because of ourselves, not because of what we do, how we can do it, how much we can do, how gifted we are, how talented we are. We are nothing without him. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. It says that Jesus saw Satan as a bolt of lightning falling from heaven. Why a bolt of lightning? A bolt of lightning is quick. It comes and it goes. Kaboom, boom, lightning. Strikes across the sky. And Jesus uses this analogy of Satan. He says, I saw Satan falling from the sky as a bolt of light. You know why? Because as long as Satan was in the presence of God, he was lit up. But the moment he fell from God's presence, the light went dim. So Jesus saw Satan in the presence and out the presence. Oh, God. He, he, He saw him in light and the light dissipate. A bolt of lightning. It's just that quick. Can I tell you something today? It it happens just that quick when you leave the presence of God. If you don't try to inhabit or to embody the presence of God, you'll be like a bolt of lightning. In light, out of light. Y'all quiet. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from the heavens as a bolt of lightning. Tell your neighbor, follow the sun. We're going to take an account out of Exodus chapter number 32. Verse number one, it says, 
when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. This is when Moses is spending 40 days and 40 nights, watch, in the presence of God. And the people saw that Moses was delayed. They saw that Moses was delayed. In other words, they was watching. Just like a lot of church folk, we always just watch it. You know, I always feel like somebody's. We all ain't been saved that long, I guess, huh? People are always watching. It's time for the church to get out of watch mode and to get into worship mode. Well, we just stop watching people worship and just stop spectating. And now we start participating in worship that we got to learn how to get in the game. Tell your neighbor, get in the game. It's got to get to a point where we get beyond just coming to church, sitting down on the pew. We got to get beyond that and just watching the worship go. We got to become part of the worship. We have to come and contribute to the worship. Uh, We got to help push the worship to the next level. We just come in, we sit down. We may lift our hands a little bit, but that's it. And we sit back down. We may lift one hand every now and then. And then we watch it. Watching. Tell your neighbor, participate and not spectate. And they saw that Moses delayed. They were waiting on Moses to come back. And in this delayed process, they become frustrated. And the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses... This man, Moses, you know, Moses, you remember Moses that led us up out of the land of Egypt. That man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We walk not what has become of him. They were frustrated because they were waiting on Moses and he did not return. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool. After he had made it a molten calf. I preached a message years ago. Don't get offended by it. But the message was entitled that heifer. I mean, it's just a female cow. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. They gave the credit to this heifer. They gave the credit to this golden image. At one point, they were shouting because the credit went to God for pulling them out of Egypt. But now Egypt is coming out of them. They couldn't shake the spirit of worship that they learned in Egypt. Oh, let me teach you for a second. So so there were 400 years in Egypt and all they saw was worship in Egypt, not the worship of a monotheistic God, but they saw the worship of a polytheistic God. Break it down for us, apostle. Mono being one God, poly being multiple gods. 
So, so they learn how to worship, watch, in bondage. Oh, we got a lot of church folk that are in bondage that learning how to worship in bondage. And the, 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 oh God, help me, Holy Ghost. The issue about learning how to worship while you're in bondage is, is that the, the travesty is you may end up worshiping the wrong God. Somebody shall set me free. That, that's why you got to be free in the house of the Lord, because if you're in bondage to sin and to this world, then you're going to learn how to worship like this world. You're going to learn how, and listen, you're going to be in the house of God thinking you got it all together and you're going to be in the worship, but you're in bondage worshiping the wrong God. So they built this golden, this golden image because they learned worship from Egypt. Most theologians believe that the ten plagues, you remember the ten plagues that came down on Egypt at that time? Most theologians believe that these ten plagues that God rained down upon Egypt was an attack on the Egyptian gods. That each of those plagues were attack on the gods that they had created. The, the god of frogs. God plagued them with the plague of frogs throughout the building. You know that last plague where God killed all of the firstborn sons? They had a god of which too where they would, watch this, sacrifice their own kids to their god. So God says, okay, you want to serve that God? Here's a plague. I'm going to kill all your kids because you're offering up a sacrifice to another God other than myself. So each of the ten plagues was an attack on the Egyptian gods. So now they're crediting the deliverance and the freedom that they're now experiencing to somebody else. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. How often we give somebody else the credit for what God has done in our lives. Uh, oh, oh, maybe you're not giving somebody else, but maybe you're giving yourself the credit. Uh, okay, I'm going to come down your road and step on your toe in a second. You, you, you know, now you're contributing all of your success, not to God, but to your education, to your family name, to your inheritance, to your family's legacy. I am who I am because of them. You are not who you are because of them. You are who you are because of him. You have what you have, not because what you can do, how well you can do, how gifted you are, how talented you are, how all of this you are. You are what you are because of. And they take and they give the credit to this golden image, which brought us up out of Egypt. Oh, God, help us. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar. It's not enough to have a golden image and idol, but they're now setting up an altar of which now they're going to worship. They're building an altar. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow. And offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, to drink, and they rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, oh God, somebody shout, it's about to get messy. And the Lord said unto Moses, get thee down. Boy, you better go check on them folk. They cutting up down there. You better hurry up, Moses, because they doing some stuff. I'm telling you, look, look at that. 
And they dancing naked, too. Mm, mm, mm. For thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupt themselves. Can I tell you something? Hear this. Write it down. Don't follow the herd. Always follow what you heard from God. Don't follow the herd, the herd of people, the crowds. Don't follow the herd. Only follow what you heard from God. Because if you follow the herd, then the herd will lead you in the wrong direction. Somebody shout, don't follow the herd. Yeah, I tell you, don't follow the herd. Tell them, only follow what you heard from God. Because if you're following the herd, then you get the herd consequences. You got to only follow what you heard from God. Because only God knows the way. Don't follow the herd, only follow what you heard from God. They have been quick to turn away from that which I have commanded and made themselves an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are all gods, Israel, who have brought us up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Good Lord. Stiff-necked people. In other words, they're not pliable. They're not relenting at one bit. They only want to do things their way. Uh-huh. Can I deal with you for a second? You know, the Lord is looking for you to be pliable, malleable, bendable, flexible. So if he needs to flex you, you'll flex. Because if you're stiff, you break. You know, the kingdom of God is not Burger King. It's not have it your way. It's only Yahweh's way. So, so if you're not flexible, if you're stiff, Nick, if you try to bend, you're going to break. And when God gets you in worship, he wants you to be transformed into something else. And if you're so stiff, Nick, you're going to break in worship. When God visits you, he wants to visit you in the sense of, listen, I'm coming to bring change in your life. And if you don't want to change, then you're going to break. And you don't want to be broken by the hand of God. Oh, come on, somebody. You, you, you don't want to be broken by the hand of God because if God has to break you, it's going to hurt. So you might as well go ahead and submit and relent and say, okay, God, here I am. Put me on the potter's wheel. Mold me and fashion me whatever way you need to mold me and fashion me. And he says, these people are stiff-necked people. They don't want to change. They want to stay the same. They want to keep worshiping the way they worship. They want to keep doing like they're doing. They're stiff-necked. Ask your neighbor, are you stiff-necked? Hallelujah. I was going to give my chiropractor a shout-out right there, but I, she didn't pay me no endorsement, so I'm going to leave it alone. Amen. Sometimes you just need to go to chiropractor and get adjusted. Amen. Praise the Lord. Watch this. Your lack of waiting will turn into a massive weight. I'll say that again. Your lack of waiting will turn into a massive weight. While they were waiting on Moses to come back, they took all of their jewelry to make a golden image. Watch, only to be destroyed. In your waiting, if you don't learn to wait on the Lord, everything about your life will become a waste. You will waste all of your possessions 
on man-made means to fix a man-made problem. Oh, y'all not trekking with me this morning. While you're waiting on God, you'll waste all of your earthly possessions to fix something that God wanted to fix, but you decide to pay for something God had already decided to fix and pay for it for you. Ah, God. So, so, so in other words, you, you'll go and you'll get all kind of loans with high interest rates to try to fix the problem that you got yourself into financially. When Instead of waiting on God and trusting God for the finances, the wisdom and the resources to fix the problem, you went out there and tried to fix it yourself. You're calling up everybody. Let me borrow some money. God says, why are you calling them and not calling me? And don't get me wrong, now I'm not against, you know, you going out there borrowing money, but you got to have the wisdom when you do it. Because God may say, hey, listen, go to that bank, they got some interest rates that's pretty low. Go refinance this at a lower, in- God may, he may do that. Come on, y'all with me? But you got to seek God first. Are you hearing me? You, you may go out there and try all kind of medical treatment, spend all kind of money to fix an issue that God had already decided that he was going to fix for you. Oh, God. Amen. Amen. So. You got to learn to wait. Tell your neighbor you got to learn to wait. Tell your neighbor, wait on God. Peter couldn't wait on God. Gospel of John, chapter 21, the Bible says that after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Denimus, Nathaniel, and the, uh, from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and the two other disciples were together. And watch what happens. Peter said, I'm going out to fish. Now, here it is. Jesus has been crucified and he's telling them to wait for the promise and the blessing of God. And in the frustration of the waiting, Peter decides I'm going fishing. Instead of him waiting on God. He out there fishing. Instead of waiting. He decided to go back, watch to what he was accustomed to. Back to what he was used to. Can I tell you something in the waiting process? Don't ever go back to what you're accustomed to or used to. You you know how it is, you know, uh, when you get so frustrated in the relationship, you know, you decide you may want to have a little drink. You know, rolled you up a, they still call it spliffs, them left-handed cigarettes. No, what they call it now? Huh? Huh, what? You telling on yourself. (laughs) You know, you fire one up, you know. You got it stuffed in your wallet just in case. You know, you got that bottle of Jack Daniels up under your seat. You hadn't drank in years, but you're still holding on to it just in case. And now your frustration has you going back to the old life, doing the old thing, being the old way. Peter said, I go back fishing. Why? Because he's frustrated, waiting on the promise. And watch what happens in 
And, and Peter says, I go fishing. I go out to fish. Simon Peter told them. And watch this. And they said, we go with you. The problem with us going in frustration is we end up bringing people right along with us frustrated. And, and you got to be careful because what happens is your frustration will draw other people's into your frustration. And now you're just a bunch of band of merry men all frustrated, complaining about issues and problems. And you just in each other's ear with all kind of mess. Bringing people along with you in your frustration. And now your frustration becomes their frustration. Their frustration becomes your frustration. They're talking about what they're frustrated with. You're talking about what you're frustrated with. And now their issues become your issues. And now what really wasn't your issue is now made your issue. Oh, you know, I... I don't like him either, you know, and I don't like her either. And, and, and now because of their frustration, you're now frustrated with what they're frustrated with. Now you stop liking people who you used to like because somebody else don't like them. Oh, y'all quiet. I call it 3PO, third party offense. You're offended by a third party. It's not even your offense, but you offended. I know right now in your life, they got some people that you used to hang out with that you don't hang out with no more because the person you're hanging out with right now don't hang out with them. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. 3PO, third party offense. And Peter brings them into the frustration. And as they go out, they go out fishing. They go with Peter. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing early in the morning. Somebody shout early in the morning. Early in the morning. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples, catch it, did not re uh, realize that it was Jesus. They didn't realize that Jesus was at the shore. Can I tell you the lack of waiting, number one, write it down, will cause foul worship. Foul worship. Have you worshiping from a foul place in your heart? Foul worship. Number two. Lack of waiting will cause dysfunctional fellowship. Dysfunctional fellowship. You'll end up hanging out with people who are just as dysfunctional as you are. Everybody complaining. Negative complainers. And number three will cause you to lose focus, loss of focus. They're there in the boat fishing and Jesus is on the shore. They hung out with Jesus three and a half years and couldn't recognize him. They lost focus. Tell your neighbor, don't lose focus. No, don't ever lose focus in the midst of waiting. I don't care how long you've been waiting for the promise to manifest in your life. Don't ever lose focus of Jesus. I don't care how long it takes for God to manifest the blessing in your life. Don't ever lose focus. I know you've been waiting for things to work out in your marriage. Don't lose focus. I know you've been waiting for things to happen in your business. Don't ever lose focus. I know you've been waiting for the new job and for the promotion and for the raise, but don't ever lose focus. I know you've been praying and fasting for your kids to come back and to act right. Don't ever lose focus on Jesus in the waiting process. Because it's in the waiting process, the glory of the Lord becomes so heavy, it causes you to be weighty. 
So now when issues in life come your way, you're anchored enough to handle the issues. Tell your neighbor, keep on waiting. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It's in the waiting that your strength is renewed. I don't know who this is for this morning, but you've been waiting for God to do something. God says, I'm just trying to renew your strength. I'm just trying to renew your strength right now. Because it's in the renewing of the strength. It's no longer you, but it's me in operation in your life. It's in the renewal of the strength that you realize that it is not your strength, but it's my strength. For in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. So I'm trying to get you to wait. Because you know it's in the waiting process. You're strengthened. And the longer you try to pull out, the longer you try to stay out of the presence of God, the weaker you become. But as long as you're in his presence, strengthen. Come on, flex for a second in your neighbor. Say, I'm getting my strength up. I'm, I'm. You know, when you got muscles, you, they went that way. What, what you saying? You over there? You, you, you know, when you... It's, it's in the presence of God that we're renewed in strength. That we realize that it's not our presence or our strength, but it's his strength. But we got to remain focused. Tell your neighbor, remain focused. I'm almost done. And, and uh, now, therefore, let me alone. We're back in Exodus chapter number 32. It says, now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. God says, I'm going to wipe them out. But of you, Moses, I'm going to make a great nation. Can I tell you something? God will do it with or without you. You got to know that. He'll do it with or without you. God don't need your help in nothing. He'll do it with or without you. And Moses besought the Lord. I love this part. And the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doeth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? I love the King James. Make you sound all eloquent and smart. Which thou hast brought before out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent from this evil against thy people. Moses is interceding. In the presence of God. Yeah, this is bold. <laughs> this is kingdom talk right now. So some of you may not grab this. But Moses is in the presence of God. And he has the tenacity. To tell God don't do what you're about to do. Oh Jesus. He, he's telling God listen I know you're mad. I know you're big mad, God. That's what they say to kids, you big, oh, you big mad now. God, I know you're big mad right now. But, but don't do what you're about to do. God, God, don't let your wrath fall upon these people. Watch what Moses said. Moses said, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servant, to whom thou hast worth by thy own self. Said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and, and all this land that I have spoken of, I will give unto your seed. 
and they shall inherit it forever. You know what Moses is doing? You know why Moses has such boldness and tenacity to say this in God's face? Moses is giving back to God what God gave him. He's telling God what God said. He's reminding God of his promise. I know it hadn't happened yet, God, but I'm going to remind you what you said was going to happen. See, that's why in the waiting process, don't get frustrated. Just keep reminding God what he said. Just just keep telling God what he said to you back then. Because when you remind God what he said, then God is mindful to make sure what he said comes to pass. The best prayer you could ever pray, the most effective, efficient prayer you could pray is to pray God's will and his word in your life. I'm going to say that again. In order to get a, a prayer fulfilled in your life, just give back to God what he gave you. His word. Remind him what he said to you. Don't don't pray out of your flesh. Oh, God, do this for me. No, God, you said. Y'all quiet. That's why when Jesus said, pray, pray this way. Remind me of my word. Tell me what I said about you. By your stripes, I am healed. If there's sickness in your body, oh, God, heal me. No, remind God what he said. God, by your stripes, you said, I shall be healed. If it's lack and poverty in your life, God, you say you own a carol on thousand hills, that I'll be blessed going in and coming out. I'll be the head and not the tail above and not beneath. God, that's what you said. God is only obligated to answer his word and not you. Whoo, Jesus, that's. <laughs> God ain't no genie in the lamp that you rub three times. To get a prayer request done. He's only obligated. To respond to his word. So when you give God his word. God moves. Because only his word moves him. Not you. Not your tears. Not your giving. Your alms. Not your prayers. Your sacrifices. God only moves by his word. Hallelujah. Somebody shout glory. Come on shout again glory. Yeah. And. Moses reminds God of his word. I'm finished. Musicians can come in place. And I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I will give unto your seed. And they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord, watch, repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. The power of waiting. Three things. Write it down. The power of waiting. First, the grace to intercede. When you learn how to wait, God will give you the grace to intercede. It's not that you change God's mind. It's not that God will even change his mind. God is just waiting for somebody to intercede. God don't want to bring hurt, harm, nor danger to nobody. He's just waiting for somebody to intercede to stand in the gap. Can I tell you something? (laughs) Y'all mean not. <laughs> it's the word. You know why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? It wasn't because of homosexuality. I'm going to teach you good right now. The town wasn't destroyed because they decided to sleep with one of the same sex. You know why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? Because there was none righteous in the city. God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness and their evil. 
And Abraham said, but Lord, would you not destroy it if there were 50 righteous people in the city? God said, oh, no, I wouldn't destroy it if there were 50. <laughs> well, what about 40? Would you destroy it if there were 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? God says, no, I wouldn't. He says, what about one? He said, I won't destroy it if there's one. Abraham goes into the city to get his nephew Lot. The city is not destroyed. Why? Because Abraham is a righteous one. He goes in, pulls out his nephew. The moment that Abraham leaves out the city, the city is destroyed. Why? Because one righteous person left. You know why God said he had to destroy it? Because there was none there to be right standing before God to preach to the people of their error. He didn't want to destroy it. He just wanted one righteous in the city. Because if he had one righteous, then that one righteous would have went and declared that your sin that you're in, God will destroy you and repent and turn from your sin. It's the same thing that happened when Jonah went to Nineveh Jonah didn't want to go but God sent him because Jonah knew if I go in and preach the gospel that they're going to turn and repent and Jonah didn't like the Ninevites he hated them so he knew if I go and preach then they would turn and I don't want them to turn I prefer them to burn And God says it was better. It would be better for those who are in Sodom. God is looking. For, he ain't looking to destroy nobody. Hear me when I say that. I don't care how messy and how messed up you have messed your life. God is not looking to destroy you. He is looking to transform you. That's his desire. That's why God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That watch. None should. Y'all know the Bible. God is not looking to destroy you. He loves you in your mess. But if you remain in your mess. Then God is obligated to throw you out with the mess. You know in some places they burn trash. <laughs> 